0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Floor Fight, the post-writer serialized podcast in which each season we assemble a politics bracket and pit our contestants against each other to crown the ultimate winner. I'm your host and announcer, Michael Levito. Thanks, Mike. I'm your other
1: host and your floor manager, Lars Emerson. Welcome to the podcast and to the exciting floor fight we have before us. We have just four entries remaining after a heartbreaking round four where we said goodbye to some beloved names. So welcome
0: to the Federal Four. Of course, all four of these entries are losing presidential candidates because the premise of our first season is to pit them against each other in this bracket to determine the answer to this question. Who was the greatest president we never had? This time we're going to win. We're
1: in a race. We're going to win this. We Election. We're
0: fighting for the American future, and that's why we're going to win. We're going to make sure that we win. Help me become the next president of the
1: United States. Reminder for our listeners how this works. We started with the 56 runners up in the competitive U.S. presidential races, plus 16 of the top third and fourth place finishers, eight of whom won their play in games to make it into the top bracket. All candidates have been seated based on their percentage of the popular vote. We only have one number one seed remaining. And that is Al Gore, who is actually our lowest seeded uh, number one seed, as he got only 48.4% of the popular vote in the election of 2000. We also have one number two seed and a number seven and a number 12 seed. So lots, uh, lots of diversity in our, in our federal four here, Mike. As we go through each match off, we will introduce the candidate, the year their seed, but not really because you know who these four are if you've been following the show. And if you haven't, You've jumped almost to the end. <laughs> These are all big names, right? But Mike and I will debate very seriously the merits of each of our four finalists before crowning that round's champion. If for some reason we cannot agree, we will flip one of those
0: coins. Back to you, Mike. <laughs> one of those coins. <laughs> Not you know, U.S. coins. I don't, I don't know. The ones over there. <laughs> um, those coins you've been hearing about so much <laughs> all over the news. But thank you, Lars. And thank you to you, the listener. Yes, you, who can follow along with our live updating bracket on our website. Just go to the slash floorfight to see the seeds, victors, upcoming matches, and follow along with us each step of the way. Before we dive into the next round, is there anything in common that any of our finalists have here? Yes.
1: We have four people, and on each side of the bracket, they're very close in time, right? You have... Hillary Clinton and Al Gore. They are the last two people whose losses allowed the last two Republican candidates to come into power.
0: Also the last two candidates to lose while winning the popular vote. Whoa. And on the other side, you have John Quincy Adams and
1: Henry Clay, who were also kind of partners in government in their own era, right? Both of these sets are very similar within themselves.
0: Yeah, we, we also have we have three secretaries of state. So that's something. Just one vice president. Yeah, just one vice president. Two people who were related by other blood or marriage to prior presidents. Whoa. And these four candidates only represent
1: three candidates who beat them, right? Trump, George W. Bush, and then Quincy Adams and Clay were both defeated by Andrew Jackson.
0: That is true. Fascinating stuff. Okay, uh, let's dive in, though, and, and talk about these folks in a bit more detail (laughs) Let's do it.
1: Let's get into our our federal four. So, on the first half of our bracket, to determine who will go into the final round, Mike, we Mm. have Hillary Clinton, who lost the election of 2016 to Donald Trump, versus Al Gore, who lost the election of 2000 to George W. Bush. Clinton's journey in this bracket has been quite a story, right? I, I actually think she's had a pretty weak way to get here, though she's a very strong <laughs> candidate. Yes, I would um, agree. She defeated Robert M. La Follette, who was a playing candidate, in round one. She defeated Walter Mondale in round two. She defeated the magical Alton B. Parker, who advanced to round three despite himself, in round three. And then she defeated uh, George H.W. Bush, which I think was her most serious competition yet, Mm. in round four. You want to tell
0: us about Al Gore's
1: path to the final four candidates here?
0: Yeah, so Al Gore, he was the number four overall seed, but that means he was the lowest ranked number one seed. He defeated William H. Crawford in the first round, one v. sixteen. Not a big, not 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 a big hill to climb. Crawford was a playing candidate. Then he beat Hubert Humphrey, I think, who was a guy we thought might go a little further, but he ran to the Gore train. He beat Thomas <laughs> Jefferson, so he beat a, a president, well, a future president, I guess. In that case, that's that's like a pretty heavy hitting matchup. He he actually had a tougher road to hoe than Clinton did he, did. he beat Thomas Jefferson, and then he beat John Kerry, which is interesting, of course, because John Kerry would lose to Bush in two thousand four.
1: We we got some pushback on Twitter for the Gore Jefferson pick there. Mm. But I think I you know, I think we were pretty fair on that one as we made a pretty strong case for why Jefferson needed to wait.
0: Yeah. Uh, and also he he was president, <laughs> like, right, you know. Right. right. <laughs> we got there <laughs> eventually.
1: <laughs> Al Gore, you know, we also did a whole bonus episode on on Al Gore. I thought it was really good. Definitely check it out if you didn't. Catch that bonus episode Is it just kind of paints a picture of what the Gore administration would have looked like. But there you have it. Clinton v. Gore. Floor fight.
0: So, how, how, how do we want to do this? Do we want to, like... <sighs> these, are some, these are some heavyweights. Let's, how about we do this? We do the case for each, and then we compare and contrast. Let's, let's do the case for each, and then the case against each. Okay. Like, for Clinton, for Gore, against Clinton, against Gore. okay. Here is my case for Clinton. I, so I've
1: struggled to avoid recency bias with the picking Clinton over Gore here, if that's what we do. I think the point to Clinton's credit over Gore is that, unlike Gore's win, I think a Clinton win is just better for democracy overall. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, the only person whose election stops this significant Democratic backsliding to the degree we've seen in the last six years. You know, which is which is not to say she would not face these serious headwinds, but you don't have a storming of the Capitol at any point under George W. Bush, and you do have that if Hillary Clinton is not elected in 2016. The other things I think top of mind going to Clinton's credit are the possibly three but almost certainly two Supreme Court seats I, I think that may actually be her strongest case against Gore they're they're pretty much equally matched in my mind from a like competency and like who they'd surround themselves standpoint but uh, this this is like <laughs> this is something that I've kind of struggled to put words to Clinton's presidency I think means more mm-hmm. and she is like a genuinely inspiring figure Gore is not that at all that is my That's case fair. for Clinton
0: okay yeah, I think in my case for Clinton, I mean, the obvious one, you you made most of the points, which is that Donald Trump doesn't become president. And I actually think contrary to what we saw last year, year and a half, I think if Trump was in 2016, I think he, you know, he cries about it for a little bit. But I don't think it's anything as drastic as he tried to do in 2020. Yeah, partly because he just doesn't have the opportunity to right. he just doesn't have. Sort of the influence at that point you know there there are a bunch of things that i think she would handle better than donald trump you know yeah. to put it mildly i the biggest obviously is COVID 19 do i th- it's, it's a weird thing right do i think that like the death toll is like meaningfully lower if she's president honestly probably not yeah do i think that we as a country are going to like at least slightly more united about what needs to be done and like how to best mitigate the virus yeah probably so so that's a plus, you know, and and I think just like in general, very experienced, very competent. Obviously, being the first female president is a huge milestone. It's kind of it's kind of incredible. I mean, you look at like the America's kind of like peer nations mm. that have had female heads of state. The U.S. obviously has not. France, interestingly enough, an outlier there. But like you know, like Pakistan has had a female head of state. Indonesia has. Mm. It's like a lot India has. I mean, obviously Germany and the UK, just like, I mean, the the irony is we've been electing a democratic government much longer than almost any of these places, right. right? Yeah. So that's obviously, it'd be nice if we did that. So obviously, I think that's huge. That That's what I have to say about that. And obviously, like, you know, I, I don't know how much they matter too much right now. But you look at sort of like the kind of mobilization and organization of the far right. And I don't just mean like far right elements of the Republican Party, right? I mean, like the, the Proud Boys, the Richard Spencer types, all of them. They're probably more organized after 2016, no matter what happens. But they're probably less emboldened. <laughs> than they are if Clinton wins. And like, you probably just get like a a better Republican party too, right? They're like, all right, the Trump thing didn't work. We'll, (laughs) we'll try someone like less insane. So that, that's the pro case.
1: Now we're doing the pro Al Gore case.
0: I think we should actually do the, the con Clinton case now. Uh, Okay. I know I just switched that up, but
1: that's fair. My, I I think the headwinds Clinton faces are more significant than those of Al Mm -hmm. Al Gore. Right. I think she would be elected. She is, she would be an unpopular president you know yes. the, the irony with with Hillary Clinton is she polls very popularly until she decides to run for something. She ran for president and all of a sudden half the country like really, really hated her, uh, including some wings of the Democratic Party. But I think they largely kind of moved past that once it became clear who she'd be up against. So she would definitely be like an unpopular president. A con against her is her stance on the TPP. She waffles on that quite a bit. I don't really know what she would do. I think... I think she would actually go the Bill Clinton route, right? Where it's, you know, George H.W. Bush negotiated NAFTA. Bill Clinton kind of runs like, well, maybe there's some problems with NAFTA. He gets elected president. He goes back to the negotiating table and is like, hey, you need to add standards on labor and in the environment. I see Clinton actually doing that exact same thing. I think the TPP was too much of an opportunity to pass up. I don't know that Congress ultimately passes it, but maybe with some labor protections, maybe. Her being an unpopular president means Democrats will continue to not have control of the House and they will not win it back in 2018. And I think this is like the biggest problem is in 2020, and we talked about this last episode, is the coronavirus happens. And I think there's a pretty good chance that the COVID response hits an absolute brick wall where Clinton is leading on the issue, which is the right thing to do. And, you know, this is not super fair to say that she she would not be a good president because of the actions of the opposition. But Mm -hmm. I think, you know, a Speaker Kevin McCarthy or whatever the House situation looks like at that time says, you're up for re-election in 2020 and we want you to lose. We are going to pass no COVID response bill and... There are hundreds of thousands of Americans unemployed for a very long time, not getting unemployment top ups and who do not have additional sick days. You do not have the situation where the House like gave Trump something to sign. It's like if you do not sign this, your economy will collapse. Yeah, so I, you have to think of like who would be elected president either in 2020 or 2024 in dealing with that. And I think that is the case against Clinton.
0: Yeah, I I'm looking at it now, and it's just like you, you mentioned. Obviously, the Supreme Court nominations at the top, and thing is like like you said, there's just going to be lots of roadblocks. I mean, there's a chance like if you think about it, it's like there's a chance that we go from like a nine-person Supreme Court to like a seven-person Supreme Court over her first term right. if the Republican Senate acts the way it acted. <laughs> during, like, the latter half of Obama's presidency. If
1: Democrats win two Senate races in 2016 in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, it would it would be okay. a tie with... Yeah, yeah.
0: It would, it would be what we have now. Yes. With Tim Kaine casting the... Well, actually, temporarily, it'd actually be a 50 to 49 yes. Republican majority because Tim Kaine would have to leave the Senate. His replacement would be appointed by Terry McAuliffe. So there'd be a lot of it'd be very much like the Senate that George W. Bush inherited in, in two thousand or two thousand one really.
1: It'd be a nail biter. That's
0: for yes, sure. Yes. Yes. So that'd be difficult. Like you said, there's just be like fierce opposition. Just like the conspiracy theories that came out in 2020 about the coronavirus would be so much worse if hillary clinton was president i think just because people are already predisposed to believe ridiculous things about her that's not a reason to like not have her be president but it is a second order effect that i think is is worth monitoring like you said it probably leads to a resurgent republican party in 2018 and then i think really does set up a the coronavirus in general i think just sets up a republican winning in 2020 be that marco Rubio or tom cotton or, or you know pick your poison there does it
1: if we look at elections across the world though where almost everyone else
0: that uh worked. that that's a fair point i think the the Sede of germany might disagree with you but but that's a fair point yes incumbent approval does go up a little bit and help them in elections justin trudeau made out okay yeah So that's obviously a big, big issue. And yeah, I do wonder what the effect on like the left wing of the Democratic Party is because in 2020, right, like, Bernie was ready to work with Biden, right? Yeah. There was this unequivocal show of support when Bernie Sanders dropped out of the primary for Joe Biden. There was this huge cause to rally around his supporters behind Joe Biden. Joe Biden made some promises, whether or not he's kept them in the time since is, you know, up for debate. And that made, you know, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Cory Bush, Ilhan Omar also kind of fall in line with that vision as well. And there's certainly internal debate right now, but it's really not, I think, as severe as maybe some people predicted it would the 2016 primary is much more bitter and i think it just and granted like people like this the quote-unquote squad is not elected till 2018 and i think there's probably still a good chance they do get elected even if clinton is president i mean they're not running in 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 toss-up districts certainly but this is like a catastrophizing scenario there is like an do I think AOC would do this? Do I think Ilhan Omar would do this? Probably not. But if, if we're if we're if we're following the flaps of the butterfly's wings, there is like a non-zero chance. And I bet Tulsi Gabbard would have something to do with this. <laughs> where you get like a coalition of, you know, left wing Democrats and the Republican Party being like, we want to investigate Hillary Clinton emails more. Like the 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 twenty sixteen Democratic primary showed us that there's something rotten in the state of denmark and we have to we have we have to get some subpoenas rolling right and that obviously i think does does bad things for for the nation and and for hillary clinton's presidency and her re-election odds do i think there's anything that she would have necessarily done worse than donald trump probably not she probably (laughs) doesn't sign a very stupid tax cut she probably doesn't try to circumvent obamacare that probably doesn't happen they're probably You know, isn't a mass mobilization of people at airports because she signs a controversial travel ban? That probably doesn't happen, so that's all good. But yeah, it's it's going to be a very very tough time, and she's not going to have the sort of like overwhelming mandate that would help her overcome that.
1: Yes. Okay. Should we talk about Al Gore?
0: Yes. Let's talk about Al Gore. (laughs) Okay. So I think we
1: made the positive case for Al Gore very strongly in our bonus episode, right? By the end of that, we were all just like. Yeah, this would have actually been great. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that really kind of turned me towards Al Gore. I I think stopping the mistakes of the Bush administration entirely, especially in in Iraq, and maybe devoting more resources in Afghanistan earlier. uh, And, you know, potentially 9-11 not even happening. That was something we debated and, you know, we were at least unsure about. Those are all very strong pros for Al Gore. I, I mm-hmm. think the the problem with a lot of these Al Gore pros, you know, this is kind of a, a, a negative, is they're all just like, what's he not going to do that Bush did? And it's, you know, he'd handle Katrina better. He'd handle 9-11 better. He'd handle the Iraq situation better. He'd handle the Afghanistan situation better. He'd surround himself with better people. I think putting Gore in, is it definitely leads to the best America we could have had right now, for those of us currently alive. But what can we say about his personality and that that's gonna lead me to my cons. But if you wanna give your positive Al Gore case, go for it.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's it's like what you said is that there's probably no Iraq war, Katrina's probably handled better. That has obviously huge sort of like domino effects on the wider culture. Who knows how that even plays out at like midterms and things like that. There's no or less illegal wiretapping and torture and stuff going at Guantanamo Bay. Generally, America's standing in the world is probably improved if Al Gore is president. Yeah. And trust in public institutions is probably higher if Al Gore is president. It's really hard to overemphasize how, how poorly George W. Bush's presidency was received. By the end, and there are like other reasons for this, but by 2009, Mississippi has a majority Democratic congressional delegation, (laughs) right? (laughs) South and North Dakota have Democratic representatives, right? West Virginia still has a majority Democratic congressional delegation. Idaho has a Democrat in Congress, even though he's very, very conservative. You know, just just like people really did not like him. And Al Gore, obviously not everybody's going to love him. But my guess is the backlash will probably not be that intense. Yeah, the biggest thing is that most of the bad Trump related things we were just talking about you can draw at least a dotted line between them and things that happened in the Bush presidency, right? Yeah. You can make a pretty compelling argument that you don't get Trump without Bush, which is which is, which is less a pro-Gore take than an anti-Bush take, but, you know.
1: Are we ready for the anti-Gore take? Yeah. So I think your argument's against Al Gore. Does it make for a better America? Possibly, if, if I had to change any election in the last 30 years— I think this the 2000 election is like the one, right? I think mm-hmm. in terms of lives and just the consequences and what happened in those four to eight years under Bush and just like the, the impact the 2000 recount had on just trust in institutions and democracy, I think that is undeniably. However, I struggle to say that Al Gore, just by not being Bush, is the greatest president we never had, right? Is He is kind of unexciting. He's kind of uninspiring. He's actually like a pretty boring guy on the stop. And this mm-hmm. campaign is very boring until it's over. <laughs> I, I think you do have the same issue you had with Clinton, just not, not at the same level of heated rhetoric. And that is you have little positive governing majority. I think Al Gore is also stuck with a you know, potentially 50-50 Senate possibly less possibly a little more you made a pretty strong case that you think he loses re-election in 2004 i yes i disagreed in the bonus episode i think there's a pretty strong case that he would win re-election and i think having that debate also matters because if a republican wins in 2004 do you assume they lose in 2008 or if al gore is still president by 2008 do you assume a republican wins and presides over the great recession i don't know and i that is very much up for debate but that that is my, my case against al gore is that he is is a president in the twenty first century needs to like mean something to people and be very inspiring to people and be able to not bumble his way through a conversation.
0: And I, I do not get that from Al Gore. Yeah, no, I, I think that's totally fair. And the point you made about like two thousand eight, like yeah, the chance is very good that the Republican loses that election. I think not just because of like the four term itch or whatever, but I think just because if you're president during a recession, your party tends to lose. <laughs> it's typically how that goes. Yeah, I think what you said. He's not a very inspiring figure. I. I think people who are inspired by Hillary Clinton are more inspired by her than people who are inspired by Al Gore are inspired by him, okay? I think people who revile Hillary Clinton are more reviled by her than people who revile Al Gore are reviled by him. And actually, I messed up the reviling there, but you know what I mean. Point is, I think- I think- there are more intense positives and negatives. There's just a bit more intense emotion around Hillary Clinton than there is around Al Gore, right? Yes. Absolutely. Make of that what you will. And I think there's also, you know, I mentioned the whole thing with there being no Iraq war. That said, Joe Lieberman is his vice president. You know, if he's if he's keeping a lot of the Clinton holdovers into his administration, this includes people who advise Clinton to, you know, bomb Serbia, get involved in the Yugoslav wars, I think interventions that were pretty much justified. But you do wonder, too, if they then also can make a convincing humanitarian case for some kind of intervention in Iraq or, you know, the rest of the Middle East. I think that's like a—there's like a non-zero chance of that happening. I also don't think it necessarily precludes these sort of, like— neoconservative Bush administration figures from coming into power, right? Cause they would not have been in power and therefore would not have been discredited. You know That was the case I made in the, in the special episode that like John McCain could become president and then kind of bring in all the same people anyway and then get into a whole bunch of mess anyway. So yeah that that to me is the downside. I'd be interested to see what he does with climate change and with a with a budget surplus, but yeah. Okay. So we we hit the pros to
1: each, we hit the cons mm-hmm. to each. Are you you don't have to decide now, but are you leaning one way over the
0: other for, for a given reason? So okay, he, here's what I'm thinking. Because I came into it being very pro-Al Gore and being like, yes, he should be the guy. Where, where I'm at now, I think the domino effect of Al Gore being president is more positive. Al Gore becoming president could prevent some of the conditions that requires Hillary Clinton being president to be necessary in terms of like the anti trumpness of it all. I do think Hillary Clinton would probably have been a more competent president than Al Gore.
1: So that brings us really to the question of the show is how do we define who was the greatest president we never had? Yeah. Because you kind of just said Hillary Clinton would have been a greater president, but Al Gore would have been a more important president, which also yeah. makes him great, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah,
0: that, that, yes, that, that's a good way to put it, actually.
1: Yeah, it's difficult. And, and that's, where I, that's where I struggle with each of them, right? Is the Al Gore presidency future is better, but on an individual level, I think Hillary Clinton is just a more competent president you know figure Al Gore is not he does not excite me he's not an exciting person like the the Al Gore presidency I feel like would be Yep. Bill Clinton was exciting. Al Gore. I mean, you've you've heard his voice. He does not give that read. (laughs) He's just very kind of monotoned. And, you know, I'm I'm a fan of a boring presidency. I think that as a rule is a good thing if your presidency is boring and you don't have a lot of surprises. But there are a lot of surprises in the presumptive Gore era. And, you know, is the nation turning to Al Gore and he's like, well, there was an attack today on the World Trade Center. I think Bush actually handled that very well, right? As he was very emotional mm-hmm. and very on the scene with Hillary Clinton, actually, ironically.
0: Um, yeah, yeah I- ironically, the restraint Bush showed within the first like week or so of 9-11 is actually, his, considering the lack of restraint his administration would show throughout the rest of his presidency is like the high point of his tenure. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It's
1: difficult. Both of these people deserve to advance, you know? But yeah. we have to pick one. And it feels weird saying it should be Al Gore, even though I'm not excited by him advancing. But it also feels weird saying it should be Hillary Clinton, even though worse things would happen. I I don't know. You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Right. Well, it's kind of like a trolley problem, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Where it's like, do you prevent the Iraq war? Or do you prevent the general bad vibes that are going on right now? I think... That I'm leaning towards Hillary Clinton, though. And I did not think really? I, I, would, I would be saying that. I am shocked,
1: because I am slightly leaning towards Al Gore. So this is <laughs> very interesting. Go well, on. I,
0: I just think there's a bit more of a vision there. Oh, I think there's way more vision. Okay. <laughs> Maybe Al, you're right. I think
1: there's very little yeah, I,
0: vision from the Gore. So the, <laughs> like, I think my, what I think my big problem is, is these like the campaigns they run are not particularly sub- substantive, right? Al Gore is like, you know, we're gonna put all our savings in a lockbox, and that's kind of like the most the most distinctive policy idea you get from him. And it, like the thing that the Clinton campaign deserves to like get a lot of crap for is that th- their biggest idea was elect a woman president, right? Which is a great thing, well, but that that's that's I, I know that they had like a platform and stuff, but you know they did not have an Obamacare idea. They didn't have even though I don't like the idea. They did not have a build the wall idea, right?
1: I, I mean, they ran on letting more immigrants into the country. They ran yeah. a, a very like pro LGBTQ platform, a, mm-hmm. a very a very pro choice, very pro women platform.
0: Yeah, but I, I guess my feeling is that that's more of like this is going sound dismissive outside of like immigration policy. I feel like just being broadly pro-LGBT and pro-woman is more of, like, a vibes thing than a policy thing.
1: Well, ignoring the empty court seat for that entire election.
0: Well, yeah, but again, I'm still not entirely sure that court seat gets filled, to be totally honest with you. I mean, I'm imagining the day after each of these elections, had they each
1: gone the other way. (laughs) It's just, what a stark contrast in what this would have looked like. It's like, oh, Gore won. People would be like, okay, back to work. But the Hillary win would be like a big, big deal. Yeah. Even though the presidency is less
0: consequential. I feel like it would have been treated more like a sigh of relief than kind of like a rapturous step forward, ultimately. And that's because of her opponent, right? Yeah. It's certainly not her fault.
1: I, I think whichever way your gut is telling you right now, I think I'm comfortable with it. Because, you you know, it's just interesting to think about what happens with the Republican Party in either of these situations. Does electing Clinton lead to, like, a Larry Hogan or, like, a Charlie Baker? Or Chris—actually, I think Chris, Chris Sununu would have a very good chance to be an opponent of hers in 2020, now that I think about it. I also could see Lindsey Graham running against her pretty seriously. Jeb uh, Bush finally gets his shot. No, no, <laughs> that will not happen. <laughs> Whereas with Al Gore, I think you're right. I I think McCain is a a very obvious foil. But there is also the chance that Hillary Clinton runs and wins. Maybe the whole Trump thing was inevitable and you have someone, not Trump, but someone like him run against her in 2020. I think I'm comfortable saying the Republican Party in either situation is better than it is now.
0: Maybe. But I think if using that framing, the answer is definitely Clinton. Yeah, I, I think that's where I'm going to end up settling. You think Clinton should advance over Gore? I guess. How do you
1: feel? I'm inclined to trust you. I, I'm a big Hillary Clinton buff and lifelong follower, <laughs> lifelong follower, first-time fan, first-time voter. So I am inclined to go w- with whatever you say. I think you're right about the Al Gore future being better, but we're not saying which election most should have been won by the other side. We are saying who is the greatest president we did not have. And I think I'm going to go back to what you said episodes ago, and I've now repeated several times because I just keep taking it from you is like, no one's going back and be like, God, we really missed out on the Mitt Romney presidency. or like, yeah. Oh God, we really missed out on, you were like, well, we really missed out on like Thomas Dewey. I want to see what that could have been like. I feel like we very genuinely missed out on what a Clinton presidency could have been. And Al Gore presidency, I don't feel like we missed out on. I feel like we missed out by having George W. Bush as president. Boom. That is, I think, why you could go with Clinton here. Yeah, I would agree. We're doing it. That is not how I thought this was going to go, going into this episode. But yeah. Clinton will advance to the championship, and we will take a commercial
0: break. If you're a fan of the Post articles, podcasts, and projects— Be sure to sign up for our newsletter. It's a once a week digest of everything we've worked on, what the site is up to, and other things we'd recommend each Monday. We don't believe in subjecting you to daily annoying emails, but we do believe in
1: keeping our most passionate and loyal supporters in the loop on what we've been up to.
0: We know how inconvenient and annoying it is to have your inbox flooded with constant reminders and useless material. That's why we run a curated weekly newsletter that gives you a once a week scoop. New subscribers help us know how many people are reading and listening to our work and want to hear more from us. So go to postwriter.com slash
1: newsletter to sign up now. And we're back with the second matchup in our Federal Four between John Quincy Adams, a number seven seed in the election of 1828, versus... Henry Clay in the election of 1832, a number 12 seed. You want to tell us about how far John Quincy
0: Adams has come, Mike? So yeah, it depends how you feel about these these seedings, which are based on, you know, percentages of vote as opposed to, like, generally who I thought would make it, but John Quincy Adams... Certainly, I think, defied my expectations. He started out beating Bob Dole, which I actually don't know if that's very surprising. Then he beat Winfield Scott Hancock. Uh, then he beat Thomas Dewey, 1948 vintage. I was a bit surprised about that, because yes. um, we seem to be kind of into Dewey. Then he beat Benjamin Harrison, another kind of Cinderella story, and made his way into the Federal Four.
1: Quincy Adams is the new Cinderella story.
0: <laughs> and and Henry Clay, who
1: he will be up against, he is now, of course, the name you have heard more than any other name in this bracket this is the mid clay version uh, his 1832 run he ran one time before this and one time after this but he defeated charles evan hughes in the first round that was an upset he mm-hmm. defeated john c fremont in the second round good for him. Then he went up against the other big name in the, in the bracket who we had in here three times, William Jennings Bryan from the election of 1908. Clay pretty easily advanced against Bryan there in round three, and then kind of surprisingly, at least from my standpoint, I did not expect Ford to make this far, but but Clay and Ford went head-to-head in round four, and we gave it to Clay pretty quickly there. As, as we, I know you you were rallying for Ford, and he made it much further than we thought, but Henry Clay in 1832 we've both kind of come back to as like a standard bear like should have been president
0: yeah definitely was i was i rallying for ford or did i just know more about ford and was talking about? i, it I feel like you kept talking <laughs> you and therefore me into ford <laughs> Maybe I don't
1: know, but should we do kind of the same? Give a give a yeah. positive case for John Quincy Adams. You you want to go first?
0: Yeah. So uh, I think the pro case for John Quincy Adams is that you get a broadly anti-slavery or at least Chilean slavery president at a time when slavery is a hot button issue in, in the country. He also has lots of very bold ideas about a national university and you know federally funded infrastructure projects that Henry Clay also supported and and was kind of like a, a, seen as like a keen diplomat um, who wanted to expand our relationships with Latin America. And of course, you know, he would be replaced by Andrew Jackson, who, as we've established, is not somebody we're particularly fond of. No.
1: I, I, I think the case that we've made for John Quincy Adams is he is a president. He, <laughs> he you know, he, he and he has this family history in, in the White House and in the great tradition of, of American politics, as, as great as it can be, you know, 60 years in or whatever. And he yeah, he, he's got these bold ideas, the American system, the National University. We also talked about this when he went up against Harrison, is, is his Native American policy is actually relatively progressive for the time Mm -hmm. is i guess the best way we could put it you know this kind of gradual assimilation via like consensual agreements like i said it's like that sounds really nice on paper i'm sure there is a lot of really shady stuff or violent stuff that goes down when you're doing it but you know it's not what andrew jackson's (laughs) right yeah certainly not consensual agreements and gradual assimilation and and, yeah 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 Quincy Adams' vision for this, you know, expansion of American trade and, like, what a country could be given the resources of his administration. He, he had been president. He knows what being president is. We felt he deserved a second term.
0: Yeah, we did. And we should also point out that, yeah, he was against the Mexican-American War and the annexation of Texas, which is a war with a kind of, like, not-so-great legacy, no matter how great California is. Uh, there, it was very violent, very kind of jingoistic war that was basically fought to expand slavery to the Southwest. So the con case for John Quincy Adams is that he's probably, you know, he's president at, like, a very tenuous time for the American party system, the political party system, and that while he's president, essentially as a result of him being president the democratic party forms to support andrew jackson um he's head of like sort of the national republicans they call themselves because they both these parties are formed out of the democratic republican party which most people just call the republican party back then it has nothing to do with the current modern day republican party so there's a very good chance that a second term john quincy adams does not have a lot of political support in congress And in fact, he is kind of dependent on in the throes of the very people he opposes. He also is just kind of like a, I would say he's a guy with kind of like a, it's like a middling reputation as a manager. And it's like, you know, he had a very ambitious agenda, but he didn't get a lot of it done, which I think kind of says a lot about his administrative skills, if you will.
1: That is definitely true. Yeah, I I think the biggest, uh, the biggest problem John Quincy Adams would face is he has that brief window of Senate support, presumably from 1831 to 33. And, you know, maybe if he wins this election, that gets a little better. But I, I think he was stonewalled <laughs> in Congress for his first four years, and I don't see that really going away. I think Andrew Jackson is a problem to an incumbent president in the same way that Donald Trump is a problem. Is it Jackson actually has a bit more of, like, a point. It's like, this election was stolen from
0: me. It's like, oh yeah,
1: not yeah. really. It wasn't stolen. Like, the rules were followed... But he did like handily win the. Uh, <laughs> there, yeah. There
0: was there <laughs> the was the some there was some campaigning going on after the campaign itself that may have right been untoward.
1: And I, I think that's a problem that that sticks through Adams's first term of the presidency. And I don't see that really going away if he defeats Jackson again by some miracle. There, I think that's the con to Adams is you know we talked about how Hillary Clinton and Al Gore would face a lot of problems in Congress, but I think John Quincy Adams. We may be electing a <laughs> this is sort of mean, but
0: a lame duck president right out the bat. <laughs> yeah is not going to have like a lot of regional support out there. Let's move on to Henry Clay. So, Henry Clay, he is sort of like Andrew Jackson's number one enemy. This is, you know, a thing that unites him and Adams in some respect. He is the Secretary of State under John Quincy Adams for a little bit, and then also he's a senator, and he's in Congress, and he has all these great things. He's Speaker of the House. So I think the case for him is that he has this ambitious American system we are talking so much about that Adams also supported. You know, he wanted to invest in federal infrastructure programs. He wanted to create a national bank and protect a national bank. He wanted higher tariffs, which, you know, I think we're kind of a podcast that feels kind of iffy about that. And he was sort of, like, actively pursued compromise when it came to slavery. Again, a big sticking point with him is that he did own slaves, but compared to some of his contemporaries, was more okay with slavery eventually being phased out of, of American life.
1: Yes. Uh, you know, if we're telling the, pr- the pros, is we kind of faced this problem when we had Carrie v. Gore, right? It's like, do we stop... The George W. Bush presidency entirely or do we stop it four years in? <laughs> Henry Clay would be stopping the Jackson presidency four years in. And there's, you know, there's more of a case I actually think for this though, right? Is, is the pro case for why you want to reject the Jackson presidency is that Jackson is important and he's very popular and very populist. And if the American public comes back to bite him four years later and it's like, actually, we thought we liked you and you, you know, you were a very powerful political force. But your policies are bad, and we're going to go, actually, with Henry Clay's policies. And, yeah, I, I mean, his economic policy is just better, right? Is the central bank, the, the upcoming panic of 1837 is a big one. And, you know, presumably with Henry Clay in the White House, you'd have a lot more energy going into infrastructure investments and banking investments. And I, I think from a vision standpoint... And from it being to articulate a vision, there is no comparison. I think Henry Clay is much more of a force in terms of having this hundred year vision of what America could be. I think John Quincy Adams gets a little too technical and a little bitter.
0: Yes, I would agree. We also know that Henry Clay generally opposed, like, the Indian Removal Act and a lot of Jackson's Indian policies. Does that mean he's better on Native American issues than Andrew Jackson? Well, it's hard to say. It's hard to imagine anybody at that point being good on that issue, but it's something to, to consider. As far as the con case goes, the slavery thing, obviously a big sticking point, I would say. And he is a bit of a hawk. In fact, he is a member of what people call the Warhawks, who are these sort of, like, young congressmen who grew up on the frontier who had this very sort of, like, nationalistic point of view, who were the big drivers behind the War of 1812. Now, I think the War of 1812 was, like, a pretty justified war, I would say. Like, I, I think, you know... <laughs> we, we were just defending ourselves, Mike. We, hey, we, we Literally, we signed a treaty saying, hey, please leave... And they said, no, we're not going to. (laughs) So, and even though Clay did actually oppose the Mexican-American War as well, to me, and this is a lot of conjecture, it's not difficult to say that he'll be kind of influenced by like maybe some more militaristic elements in the american government and pursue similarly expansionist policies
1: yeah i think the the big cons for clay here the control of congress situation you would have under him right is it's you know the national republicans do get control of of the senate they'll have control of the senate for his his first couple years there but the ratio of like the jacksonians to the national republicans in the house is like two to one it's Mm Pretty bleak, and I don't see that you know unless we're being very, very generous, which maybe we are, if Henry Clay wins this election somehow, that's pretty hard to beat that's a that's a pretty big margin in in the House, and like you said, him owning slave despite being a slavery gradualist is
0: uh it's a problem, yes, I would definitely say so, that being said. I feel pretty strongly that Henry Clay should beat John Quincy Adams. I do too. I, yes. I think
1: from a vision standpoint and from a oratory standpoint, I, I think
0: there is no comparison. Yeah, I would agree. As far as a again talking about greatness, it's generally regarded that Henry Clay is like one of our greatest statesmen ever. Yeah, and having him in a position of power, kind of, and I, we talked about this before, right? But I think. Americans, I think, of all political ideologies, actually, or most political ideologies, I don't know. what. Yeah, careful there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think they like to, we like to kind of romanticize the idea of like rugged American individualism, right? I think in general, that's a, a benign to positive. Th- I do think that that can sometimes play out. Like that also means kind of having, I would say, unreasonable expectations about How little the government should do. And I think Jackson is kind of like someone who um, helps shape that mindset, right? In his opposition to a central bank and into sort of like a lot of other just like economic initiatives that that he opposed. And I, I think that having a president who has this kind of more expansive view of how government should work and the role it should play in American society would have paid positive dividends down the line to our current political discourse. Yes. How's this for a comparison?
1: I see this Henry Clay versus John Quincy Adams situation as very, very similar to Hamilton and John Adams. You have one who's got this bold vision behind the scene and just things keep kind of getting in his way, but he's really just like this this bright-eyed idealist for what America could be. And then you have the guy who actually gets elected at the at the top just like completely bogged down and kind of bitter and unable to to execute
0: yeah hey, i think that's
1: a that's an apt comparison just not to say i don't think john quincy adams is better than his father i definitely do but yeah i i think henry clay we really missed out on having henry clay and if we get rid of john quincy adams here we will have no more presidents
0: left <laughs> Yes, that is true. And yeah, if you the greatest president we never had, we did have John Quincy Adams as president. So if you want to be like a strict constructionist about our rules. Okay. Oh. Okay.
1: Yes. I, I think we should advance Clay and set him up for a fierce debate against Hillary Clinton in the championship.
0: I agree. And there you have it. We have our finalists. We do. We have our championship match. Yeah. So that concludes the penultimate round. We've now gone from four candidates, as you said, just our two, one of whom will be crowned as the greatest president we never had. Cold comfort, I'm sure, to (laughs) their political ambitions, especially to all the ones who are already dead. Anything we do talk about how we were kind of surprised Hillary went as far as she did. Any any other surprise in in our, in our discussion just now?
1: Going into this, I knew Clay would advance. I, I figured yeah. e- even if you came in with some like big anti Clay thing, I figured <laughs> that you'd come back around by the end of it. I genuinely thought we were both going to end up with Gore. I came prepared to argue more for Hillary because I assumed you were going to argue more for Gore, mm-hmm. but I was going to eventually concede that Gore should take it. But I think we made a pretty you know how you talk to people and what you mean to people matters like a lot mm. in a in a president in the 21st century I think that's you know maybe not in Clay's time but I mean Jackson certainly meant a lot to people he there's a reason he got these compelling majorities in the country personality matters I don't know
0: especially in America Yeah it's like if you think of it from like a Mount Rushmore perspective these are two icons right Henry Clay and Hillary Clinton they have the same initials <laughs> That's true I do not think Al Gore and John Quincy Adams are icons Yes, I think that is true. Martyrs, maybe, but not icons. So yeah, that'll do it then for this episode of Floor Fight. Tune in for our big championship match, our next episode. And to make sure you don't miss it, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, wherever podcasts are found, of course. And you can find us also on thepostrader.com, where you can stay tuned in with our live updating bracket. Not much to track at this moment, obviously, but <laughs> just just look at it reminisce about your favorite episodes past, your favorite matchups past at thepostwriter.com slash floorfight. You can see how everybody did as we made our way towards this momentous moment that was <laughs> redundant. You can also tweet at us at the email us at contactofthepostwriter.com to let us know how angry you are about all the picks we made. How we did not listen to you and how Ross Perot should have been. Just the two Ross Perot should have met up in the championship round. Tell us all about that. No. Uh, Don't tell us about that, please. But uh, while we sift through your hate mail, we will see you next time for the championship round here on Floor Fight.